It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's yeah. possible. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day, especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth, you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth, they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth, you probably should pay them, but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah, blah. No more Geno time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Melodies. Hello and welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast with the Rain and Jays. Today it's me, your boy Jay King from MassLive.com. I am joined by a wonderful, wonderful guest, Chris Forsberg of ESPN. Chris, we appreciate you coming on, my man. We are going to talk about Game 3. We actually had a, a, an off-season planning type podcast, fully recorded, ready to go, but... You know what? It's way too early to talk about the postseason. We're, we're, we're postponing that. We're talking about Game 3. Game 3 was just a ridiculous comeback. So I, I, got, I got Chris on here with me. Chris, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. What's up? And move aside, Danger Cart. You're off season. It's going to have to wait. Yeah, so, sorry, Danger <laughs> Cart. So, so we, we record the podcast with Ryan Bernardoni, a.k.a. at Danger Cart. That will be... Sometime later this week on a day off, um, but my my favorite part is that for 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 those who want a little insight is uh, me and Jay are sitting there getting dinner before Game Three last night, and Jay is one thousand percent onto the off season. He is one thousand percent convinced that the Celtics are going to get steamrolled yet again in Game Three. And at that point, I should have known that we would get a magical game in which Marcus Smart would turn into Steph Curry and Jonas Jurebko would finally get a chance to be his old, awesome self, and the Celtics would win. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was only rational to believe that they were going <laughs> to win. And, and even, if, even if they competed better, even if a lot of things went right for them, the Cavs had just been playing on another planet. You know, they, they wiped away the Raptors who had loaded it up to try to compete with them. They trampled Celtics in game one and two. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I arrived in Cleveland fully expecting to see two Celtics losses. I, I didn't expect them to see them roll over like they did in games one and two, but I definitely didn't expect, like, the, the Marcus Smart show with <laughs> with one ridiculous three after another. Some of those threes were, were just absolutely bonkers. Like, there, there was one he pulled up, like, 30 feet with 18 on the shot clock. 
there was another like like crossover pull up in the guy's mug with like seventeen of the shot clock. Just an outrageous Marcus Smart performance. Has there ever been has there been another player you can think of, at least on the Celtics in recent history, that has had a much as much irrational confidence? Like, is there another player that when he he gets the ball above the break, you sit there and and it's almost instinctive now. We do it on press rows, and we're like, no, 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 yes. And then he like <laughs> he it's 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 astounding to me. Like he's shooting forty one percent beyond the three point arc this postseason. It makes no sense. It's like you got to this stage, and Marcus was like, "All right, I'm just going to be Steph Curry for a little while." He's just going to let it flow and let it show, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was the greatest quote. Like, let it flow and let it show. I, that's definitely my life model from now on. But but yeah, he's like one of those guys. The variance of what he brings is is just incredible. Like game one against Washington, he asked to come out of the game because he was so bad. <laughs> And then game seven against Washington, you know, he he makes all sorts of winning plays, helps them prevail, and that's just kind of Marcus Smart. 27 points, seven assists, and five rebounds is not Marcus Smart. Seven out of ten from the arc is not Marcus Smart. But it's kind of like what I, I think Danger Car will we'll bring him up again, even though, even though we shoved aside his podcast for a couple of days. <laughs> He said on Twitter, like, Marcus Smart is the king of lost causes. And and it's kind of true. Like, whenever there is – there seems like there's not much to play for, and whether the Celtics are down, like, 25 or whatever, Marcus Smart just kind of has a habit of reaching another place and refusing to to give in to the, the expectation that the Celtics are going to fold. And that's what happened last – Last night, you, it was you, – You even think about game one where where they were getting trampled, and then Marcus goes out there and, what, like the third quarter starts uh, trying to defend Tristan Thompson and gives all sorts of energy on the glass. You know, ends up fouling out with, like, nine minutes to go, but that little stretch from, like, the third into the fourth quarter was probably the most the, – the, the best Celtics that they had played that night and maybe for the through the first two games. You know, and Marcus was mad. He was He was legitimately – upset the next day at practice he was like why i don't understand why we're not playing harder you know we shouldn't just be happy to be here we got to come out and now they got smothered in game two as well but you know it's it, it's funny to me that isaiah goes down and brad says well it, it it's not on one guy to step up and 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 replace his scoring load and marcus goes hold my beer and goes out <laughs> there and literally channels it for a night, and then today he's sitting there saying, you know, during their little FaceTime call with with Isaiah after the win, he he literally goes up and he's like, I channeled my inner IT. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, too funny, man. Like Marcus Smart, I, I still can't believe he did that, but he's he's just just kind of like that. Some every once in a while he can just dig deep and and do stuff you you didn't expect from him. And, and one thing about the win, which which was kind of stunning to me, was how many good three-point shots, and obviously 10 three-point shots from Marcus Smart, and a lot of them were, were really tough. Those those aren't good shots. But, but they, they had 40 three-point attempts as a team. They hit 18 of 40 three-point attempts, and that's without Isaiah Thomas to bend the defense and, and create open looks. So it was – 
it, it was weird to see how how easily the Celtics still manufactured pretty good looks without Isaiah Thomas on the court. I, the Cavaliers' defense hasn't been great in this series, and obviously the Celtics didn't score a lot in games one or two. I thought they they missed a lot of shots early in those games and kind of fell apart, but. But they they got a lot of good looks even without Isaiah in, in Game Three, and then obviously they needed Marcus Smart to go bonkers. So what what I'm taking away from that statement is you're saying that the the Celtics are a better team without Isaiah. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I, what I'm saying is, well, I, it kind of sounded like you were saying that. No, no, no. It, let, let's 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 rewind here. Isaiah Thomas is a second-team All-NBA player who deserved to be second-team All-NBA. Isaiah Thomas is one of the best offensive players in the NBA. Isaiah Thomas, yes, he's a defensive liability, but, like, he's well worth his defensive shortcomings because he is so damn good with the basketball in his hands or even off-ball at, at breaking down defenses. And the Celtics wouldn't have sniffed the Eastern Conference Finals without him. They wouldn't have sniffed 53 wins, the number one seed, any of that without Isaiah Thomas. So it's crazy to me that that people after one game, one game where <laughs> where LeBron James was garbage, like it was probably the worst LeBron James has been in years. Two thousand two thousand eight when he checked out against the Celtics in that year. Yeah, like he never checked out that year. That was the year he had forty five in Game Seven, wasn't it? Like two thousand. No, that's two thousand twelve. Yeah, like uh, no, he had forty five against. Pierce in that duel, remember? That was one Isaiah watched. Oh, then it was 2008. What was the year that he just totally like two, 2010 or 11? And he still had okay, like yeah. 27, 10, and 9 or whatever. In the, yeah. Or 27, 18, and 9 or something ridiculous in the game where people said he didn't didn't bring it. But, he, I mean, he's not, he hasn't been that bad in years. Uh, Marcus Smart has never been that good. Like, a lot of funky stuff went right for the Celtics to have a chance to win that game. Um, and granted, and this is what a lot happens. of. This is what happens, like, right? Like, a star player goes down, and you typically have one game where things are just weird, and you can't explain it. And like people make these crazy arguments, like, "Oh, maybe they're better without Isaiah." But I think we'll see in the games upcoming that things will r- resolve a little bit, and the Celtics will struggle offensively, and the Cavaliers will will take advantage of that, and LeBron will go back to being superhuman. But it is funny for 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 one day. People just people get really rattled when things go go off the rails. Like they 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 can't just say like, oh, it was a weird night. It it, it we have to come up with an excuse, and it, it and we just sort of default to, oh, it must be because the the superstar player isn't isn't naturally a superstar, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, I I don't get, and it's 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 only because he's five foot nine that that people start to say they should trade him, yada, yada, yada. And I, I know he's going to have a, a big contract raise in a year or so. I, I know LeBron James and the Cavaliers and Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, and the Golden State Warriors are still out there as these superpowers that are going to be really difficult to compete with over the next few years. I, I, I realize that, but you don't just trade away a second-team All-NBA player who's 28 years old and – I, I, I'm concerned about the the hip injury for him. Uh, I, I, obviously, it might require surgery. It will almost surely require a, a pretty lengthy rehab, I, I would assume. But as long as he's healthy and and can return healthy and can return to being, 
the Isaiah Thomas who kind of swept through the NBA world this year and surprised everyone. Like this is a guy who, who he's he's an offense unto himself. Whenever he's on the court, the Celtics score and score and score, and it doesn't really matter who's who's alongside him. I just don't get the people who think that that the Celtics should trade him. It's it's like like they've spent years mining for a, a true star talent, and they finally got one. And people are like, yeah, trade him. Just, 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 <laughs> And trade him in the final year of a contract when he would have, like, little to no value on the open market and you would get pennies on the dollar in return for trying. I, I don't know. I agree. It's, it's just preposterous. And, and, hey, we know how it works. People say crazy things to to just to I – don't, I don't necessarily think to get ratings or – but it does promote conversation, and I understand why people do it. Um, I don't get overly worked up about it, and I think Isaiah knows by now uh, not to get too uh, crazy about it. But I, I, I do look forward to that time when – in a couple of weeks or wherever it is that we get to finally talk to Isaiah and uh, he'll have some fun reaction to it. And he'll uh, needle those people that, that had those opinions. I think the biggest bummer to me with Isaiah injury, besides the fact that he's not here for the East finals and it doesn't seem fair because of how much he kind of went through and it, 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 he should really have this opportunity to play on this big stage. And, you know, I think about just, Two years ago, lose, getting swept by the Cavaliers, that was such motivation for him to, to show that he could be a winner on this stage and compete with the best teams. I just feel bad that, you know, the first two games weren't really, or the first six quarters weren't a reflection of, of the progress he's made this year. And I think we know that that hip injury has played into it. But I'm also bummed because I think it takes away, it's going to take away, regardless of the path they go here, whether it's surgery or rehab, it, it would seemingly take away a part of his summer and I think back to last year and, you know, all those Book of Isaiah videos he posted and how hard he worked. You know, that was a big reason why he was able to make a, a, a sizable leap forward this year. I mean, adding Horford as well is obviously part of that process. But, um, you know, I, I, I wonder how much he's going to be able to, to really kind of work this summer and how that will affect him getting ready for training camp and all that. But um, I guess if, if there's one dude who you don't have to worry about kind of finding a way to, to get back to his old self, I think uh, Isaiah will be supremely motivated to to, to get back out there and, and get back to what we saw this season. Yeah, and and to to be clear, like the Celtics are definitely a better defensive team when he is off the court. Like, there's no doubt there's a defensive drop off when he's on the court, but it's it's just so worth it because he's so good offensively. And and I do think the Celtics need to find a way to return to the, the defensive prowess they showed last year. They had, they had a, a legitimate drop-off this year. And, and last year, like, they, they, they had a top-five defense with Isaiah Thomas. It, it's not like you can't do it. It's not like they're incapable of doing it. It's just they have to find more rebounding. They have to get bigger, I think, in, in some other areas. And, and it, I mean, I just don't understand these people. I just don't get these people <laughs> at all. Uh, let's get back to game three, though. Uh, one one thing that I, I thoroughly enjoyed, I don't know if you saw this, but on the second to last play, Marcus Smart, uh, it was the one where Avery Bradley ended up finding Jarebko in the corner. Marcus Smart set, like, <laughs> like the most obscene moving screen <laughs> I've ever seen. He just, like, like, sprinted into a screen and kind of never stopped. It was just, like, like full clear out, like like a. It looked, it looked like a blocking sled, you know, like someone who who hits one of those football <laughs> blocking sleds and just drives it. 
for five. Like, you know, he just went right into him. Did you see the last two-minute report, too, called it illegal? Yeah, I mean, obviously. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was unreal. And then J- Jarepko was another big part. Jarepko, why do you, do, you, do you understand why Stevens hasn't played Jarepko for most of the playoffs? And especially in this series when when his switching and his length is, is valuable and his shooting? I mean, I think we're both kind of baffled, right? Like, it, it became obvious at the start of that Chicago series that Amir just, for whatever reason, just didn't work in that series. And they needed to get some more athleticism on the court and spread things out a little bit and get smaller, get get the, the Lopez away from the basket and whatever they had to do. And we all sat there, and I think we all agreed that night, that it was going to be Jarebko was going into the starting lineup, or you know, some something where you know, it, it, because he had started in the past, it, it just made a lot of sense. And when Brad threw Gerald Green at us, we're all like, "Is he is he joking? Are you, are you serious right now?" And now it worked, and I, I still don't understand how it worked. And good on Gerald <laughs> for for being ready. I mean, he really did come in and, and at a time when they needed a little bit of a scoring punch, gave it to him. I mean, same thing as as with Isaiah. You know, there are clear defensive limitations with with Joe Green out there, and when you have Gerald and Isaiah during those third parts of those series, it was certainly difficult. But you know, hey, he, he did his job. They won what four in a row, got to a five in a row, really, with the the, the Wizard series. And uh, you know, I'll, and then when when Brad audible again, I think we all sit there and said, all right, well maybe this is the time for Jerevko. Nope, right back to Amir and. I don't know. I I, I I kept thinking, like, did did Jonas do something? Does Brad hate Scandinavia? Is there <laughs> some reason that he's not getting a chance? And, again, good on Jarebko because, you know, he's he, he's a pretty touchy dude. He could get pretty angry in a heartbeat. And so if if he if he reacted negatively to this and just checked out and was like, you know what, they're not going to play me, screw it, I'm just not – into it and whatever, go through the motions. But no, Brad throws him in there and with it, it, at the early in the third quarter, and he totally changes the game. You know, they don't win that game if Jarebko doesn't go nuts and provide energy and and hit the glass. You know, what did he have? Five rebounds in twelve minutes or something like that. I think there was like as many rebounds as the next highest guy on the team. So, uh, you know, good on Jarebko for coming in and giving that energy. He's standing over. Uh, who did he? Who did he? Not Kevin Love. Before? Kevin Love. Yeah, he's like <laughs> quit flopping. You know, it's like that, I love that little swagger about him. He's perfect for this series. I do think that's why if if Amir can't go, or even if they just use Amir's shoulder as an excuse to to make another tweak with the lineup, that we'll see Jarebko start tomorrow night. It's just so funny that we all expected to get here. It's just such a long and winding road to get here, and uh, but hey, we're, we're finally getting. And shouts to Brian Robb for finally being able to uh, to celebrate starting the Swede and 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 getting to see uh, Jonas really uh, emerge in this series. Yeah, yeah. So Brian Robb of of Celtics Hub and ninety eight point five the Sports Hub, and and basically everywhere else. Um, <laughs> he. <laughs> He he said back in December the Celtics should consider starting Jarebko. He has been on the play Jarebko bandwagon stronger than anyone. He has been beating that drum for a long time, and and I, I, I do think it's kind of been like like everybody who's kind of watched the Celtics for the last couple of years. It was Jarebko 
would play a role in the regular season, and then it would increase in the playoffs when his switching, when his three-point shooting became kind of more more important and more helpful. And this year, that kind of never happened until game three, the second half. And the Celtics were plus 18 in his 12 minutes and 32 seconds. They outscored the Cavs by 76.1 points per 100 possessions <laughs> with Jarebko on the court. Like, it, it was just absurd. And I, I do think the Celtics kind of needed – his his attitude like he's a he's a prickly guy and i love how we we had to we had to search for the right adjectives to describe him because he's like he's like a super nice dude but it doesn't take much i I, for for, to give people contact back remember when the 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 winter storm jonas like and so we just kind of like jokingly asked him about it and then he got real snippy about it like oh that's the only reason you want to talk to me it's like little things set him off, but that's great on on a basketball court. That's perfect. Yeah, so he he's got a little bit of a competitive edge to him, and the Celtics needed that because the, the Cavaliers were rolling over them, and and they kind of needed to to stand up and and fight back. And the, the like the the twenty or forty eight hours that that they experienced, where first they lose by 44 points in the biggest drubbing I've ever seen in an NBA basketball game. And it was in the Eastern conference finals. Like I've never seen a game go so poorly for, for one club. And and then they lose Isaiah Thomas on top of that for the rest of the postseason. It like that could have crushed their psyche. Uh, I think it says a lot about them. Like Avery Bradley said after game two, it's going to, going to say a lot about who we are as men how we play in game three. <laughs> like that that is a that is a weighty, weighty comment. And and they they stood up. And even even when Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were going nuts in the first half, I thought the Celtics just stayed solid. And and they, they didn't overreact to it. They they didn't get broken by it. I thought that was the most impressive part. Obviously you have the those comeback with Marcus Smart and you have the game winner with Avery Bradley. And you have Jarebko coming off the bench to play these great minutes. And you have huge shots by Kelly Olenek and Al Horford. Uh, but, but to me, the, the most telling part of the effort wasn't that they won. It was that they, they refused to let that first half, when the Cavs were hitting, just ridiculous <laughs> shot. Like, like just throwing up, not garbage because they're, they're great individual players who are making great shots, but like, Kevin Love with the jab step in someone's mug from the corner, Kyrie Irving like crossing over and pulling up for threes. These shots were super tough, and the Celtics didn't let it break them. And yeah, they just kind of kind of stuck with it the whole time. I think we said the same thing, right? It was like the end of the first quarter, and they were down eleven. It was like, wow, that was probably the best quarter they played all series. And it felt, you know, it felt ridiculous to say that because the Cavs couldn't miss, but. It, it just felt that way. And, you know, it's sort of, I mean, it, not to fall into Brad Stevens' cliches, but, you know, you felt good about the shots the Celtics were getting and the shots they were forcing the, the, the Cavaliers to take. I think Stats and Info had a, a, a number for us. that the, the Cavs shot something like 5 of 10 against Marcus Smart from three-point land in the first half of that game. And, like, that's absurd when you consider the way Marcus Smart plays defense. And now in the second half, they were 0 for 4 against them. And it's sort of, it's sort of now, some of that was just they couldn't keep hitting all those shots. Uh, but, you know, it, it also speaks to the way the Celtics sort of kicked it up and, and took it to another level. But, yeah, like, I try to think about all the teams in the league that would have kept fighting at that point. And it's just hard for me to imagine that 
losing by 44, losing your best player, falling behind by 21, that most teams wouldn't be like, you know what, vacation time. Let's just kick it down, throw Jordan Mickey in there, and we'll see you in October. Yeah, and and even more than just being down 21 points and everything that had gone before, they, they were 16-and-a-half-point underdogs. Like, this was, from the start, just a ridiculous proposition for the, them to try to win. And then on top of it, they got down 21 points in the third quarter. And I, I was it was just a stunning, stunning comeback. And it, it does speak to their their unwillingness to, to fold. And obviously, you would prefer not to lose by 44 in game two. <laughs> and I don't think they competed – at their their top um, to their their highest to their standard in game one and two, but but game three with with everything that that had gone wrong, they they just really stood strong. It, it was a weird LeBron James game. It was from the start just just a bizarre LeBron James game. Like Jay Crowder just ripped the ball out of his hands underneath the hoop. Uh, LeBron was like throwing. Strange, strange turnovers. He he didn't really do too much, and part of that was just that Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were were on another level for for the first half. But I, I've never, I haven't seen that LeBron James in years. I thought he had risen past that, and like like Brad Stevens says, it sounds it's it's not wise to criticize the world's best basketball player. <laughs> like he is the world's best basketball player. He is still the world's best basketball player after that outing but it was just weird and then he snapped on a, a reporter after the game he was apparently going at it with a, a fan in cleveland just just a weird weird situation and and game i don't i don't know what to make of it well you got to tell everybody your conspiracy theory that he did it on purpose right uh, to, to be to be clear i don't i don't, I don't really i don't really believe that, that he did All right, I'll, I'll, own, I'll own it then. I think, it, 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 I think LeBron James recognized that things have come a little bit too easy in this postseason, and thinking a little bit ahead, he looked at he's looked at the Western Conference and he said, "Wow, you know, last year was really tough against those guys, and now they got Kevin Durant, and I need to t- I need somehow." to teach my guys that we're at some point we're going to hit a little bit of adversity. It's not just going to be a smooth sale and how will they respond? And so he's, it, I, I think there is some part of him that said, you know what? I'm just going to see what they can do. I'm going to take this night off. I'm going to get a little wild. I'm going to start screaming at fans. I'm going to throw the ball six rows deep and just see if, if, if these other guys can step up and they did. And, and so I, I fully expect to get engaged, take over LeBron in Game Four, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know if they if the Cavs bounce back really quickly. But I do think there's some something to the notion that you know he just needed to teach these guys that listen, we got to be better if we're going to defend this title. And like there's a there's a danger in that because you never want to like snub the Celtics or give them any motivation and. Uh, but but that being said, I do think just subconsciously there was something. Something had to have happened because it, there's no way that the best basketball player on the planet can have a half like that. Yeah, Marcus Smart had 19 points, five rebounds, and five assists in the second half. 
and LeBron James had three points, one rebound, one assist, and three turnovers. <laughs> just, just a wild, wild half. And I, I think I think it's probably giving him too much credit to to say that he was just testing his team. And like like if he was just testing his team, like it just seems weird to me because. The, the the Cavaliers still only lost after Marcus Smart reached another <laughs> planet and Avery Bradley's three pointer hit the rim and the backboard and then the rim and then somehow well maybe in. he didn't maybe he didn't count on that part maybe he was like you know at some point we'll pull it together and we'll we'll get this game and then things got weird you know again like the the, the Brad draws up a bunch of cra- uh, not crazy ATOs but a, a, a bunch of effective ATOs guys make shots. I don't know if LeBron could have could have schemed out everything. It, you can't can't factor in a ball bouncing around for two seconds and then falling through with point one on the clock and all that. Um, I, I'm not saying it's like a huge conspiracy theory, and I wouldn't be just shocked if it was just a bad game. But that being said, I, I just need to justify how LeBron could could possibly have that kind of a game, and, and that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, and he didn't even take a shot in the in the final quarter. Like it, it was just, especially after the way he had put his just commanded the first two games. Like he, he owned game one. He dominated game two. And then game three, he was just, just totally out of sorts from the beginning. Uh, Just, just really stunning. He hasn't had a bad game in the playoffs in God knows how long, like, like 2014. (laughs) When's the last time he had a bad game in the playoffs, you know, like, well, we just said it, in that game that we 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 always reference as checking out. His stat line was was something that if if a Celtics player did it now, we'd be writing for three days about. Yeah, and <laughs> he's so damn good. So it it was really stunning to see him like that. Um, what what are the other takeaways? Can can I can I tell you my favorite part of the game that we haven't got that we haven't talked about yet? I'm I'm excited to hear this. The Al Horford interview. Oh. <laughs> That was that was the best. We got yeah. heart, heart. People counting us out. Like Al, who who we've seen maybe three glimpses of crazy emotion from this season. Like there's an occasional raise the roof. There's an occasional like mini flex after a layup. But then <laughs> CSN and Abby Chan get him right after the game, and he is as worked up as I've ever seen him like I didn't know Al Horford had that emotional level in him what and the best part of it is he's screaming like looking into the camera as if he's cutting a wrestling promo going nobody believed in us they they thought we were dead and then like halfway through the interview it's like he started coming back to earth a little bit and he was uh, and the the back half of the interview is completely out. He's just like, yeah, you know, we got to go out, we got to play hard, <laughs> we got to play good. But that first part, that one part where you knew the like the blood was still flowing, was just cool to see. And that's neat because we always hear these these guys say like, oh, Al's a, a, a Al's a leader. He steps up and 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 you know he's the one who talks to us in the locker room. And I think there are times, at least for me, I sit there and go, really, like. We see him sitting there eating his applesauce before the game and watching video, and I'm like, when does he give these speeches, or when is he really being a vocal vocal leader? And not that I ever questioned that he that he did it. I just didn't think it was maybe as emphatic as sometimes we we hear people make it out to be. And so that was the the, the first time that I was like, oh wow, I can see him 
in in those first few minutes after a game, walking into the locker room and now and being that fired up and not getting in guys' faces, but just being like, hey, you know, this is great. This is what we got to do. Like, and and players because the same way we reacted to how unique it was, they probably react the same way. And it's like, whoa, Al's like Al's up on eleven right now. We better listen to what he's saying. Yeah, and I, I think that win meant a. Uh, uh a great amount to him because of how easily he has been dispatched by LeBron James in the past three playoffs. He is, he had lost 14 straight games to LeBron James's teams in the playoffs. He had been swept out of the playoffs three straight years by LeBron. And, and he left Atlanta, I think at least partially because he wanted it to be different. He wanted to, to go to a place where maybe, maybe not this year, but, Maybe one day he can compete with LeBron and compete with the Cavaliers and finally have a chance to get to the, the NBA Finals and compete for a championship. And so I, I, I think it meant so much for him, not just the fact that the Celtics were, were knocked to the mat and, and been getting trounced for the first two games and then lost Isaiah Thomas and then had this, this awesome effort in game three, but, but there must have just been this sense of relief that okay, maybe the Cavaliers aren't totally invincible, and and if we can get one game, then we can get another at, at some some future point in time, and so I think it must have felt like just an un, unreal moment for him as a competitor to to literally just get smacked by LeBron for for three <laughs> three years and and then two games in, in this playoff series to finally get one against LeBron. And it speaks to how good LeBron James is, how great the Cavaliers have been, that that he, he's played for – Corporate has played for some great teams and has just never, ever been able to, to compete, never been able to steal a win against LeBron. And finally, finally he got one. So Yeah, and, we, and that's all we've ever heard about Al, right, is like the only thing that matters to him is winning, whether it was in college at Florida and then – you know, getting to the playoffs every year, but you can tell, like, all he wants to do is to sort of get over that hump. And you, just like you said, you think about what it was it two years ago when the Hawks were 60 wins and the number one seed, and they still got steamrolled. And you know, it 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 really must have felt good for him. There was a guy actually like third row behind one of the baskets near the Celtics bench that had a sign that said LeBron James 14 and 0 Al Horford. And I don't know if Al gets really too worked up about that, but you know, when when the fans are sitting there reminding you about it, I'm sure there's something in the back of his mind like. Man, I came here to get over this hump. Same deal. Like maybe just maybe there's a little bit of him now that goes, okay, this is possible. That the Celtics aren't are are, are still there. There's still so much room for them to grow, and that eventually the, the Cavs will have to come back to earth a little bit. And maybe he just recognizes in that moment that there's going to be a window for him to uh, to get past this and get over that hump. And it must have really been again. There's no other explanation for him just going. All out emotional Al, which was very cool to see. It was so funny. It, it looked like he was he wanted to fight the camera. Like he was he was so fired up. <laughs> it, it was it was like like the like KG just just jumped into his body for like <laughs> like twenty seconds. It was it was fascinating. It was one of the best interviews I've seen this season from the Celtics, just because he got nuts. That was like his his KG bar fight moment. He would never say anything <laughs> like, like like the bar fight thing. But it was it was right after the game, and he was just still still wrapped up in all the excitement. Uh, 
you and I, we were both wrapped up in the excitement of game three. We, we didn't expect to see a good game. We didn't expect certainly to see a Celtics win, but, but it happened, man. It, it all happened. That was, that was real life. So what, so what happens with game four? Uh, so I, I think the Celtics compete again, but, but what it is is the Cavaliers just have such a different margin of error, especially now that Isaiah is gone. It, it's really tough for the Celtics. Like you, you look at, at game three, the Celtics only had nine turnovers. They hit 18 three-pointers. Marcus Smart <laughs> went like he played better than he'll, he's ever played. He, he was incredible offensively. Which, which you don't always expect. Uh, they got huge minutes from Jarebko. They played great defensively. And, like, so many things had to go right for them to win by three points with 0.1 seconds left. So, uh, you know, m- maybe, maybe, I, I think they compete again. I, I think they're, they'll defend. I, I think, I don't think they'll get sw- Swept away like they did in games one and two, but but I I I I fear that that was their only win of this of the series, and that they'll probably lose the next two after the the Cavaliers regroup and LeBron returns to being the best player in the world. But that's okay, right? Because I think after games one and two, I mean, you know, ten minutes into or, or twenty minutes into to game three, you know, if someone told you they were just going to find a way to steal one. And it was going to be like a really, really satisfying win in which, you know, one of your youngest players and one of the potential building blocks for your franchise is going to step up. I think people, Celtics fans would have taken that in a heartbeat. And, like, you never want to just dismiss it. I, I, I always walk this line because we know, like, Brad Stevens genuinely believes that his team can come back in this series. And I bet his players do too. Even, you know, there, there's some, I'm sure everyone has a little bit of doubt knowing how good the Cavaliers are. But that being said, you know, I, I hate to just dismiss their chances, even when we were talking about it coming into the series. I think we know, again, there's still a gap there. But I think just if, if, if that win is the only thing the Celtics get out of this series, that's still a real positive for this team to win on the road, to win the way they did with the guys that stepped up, with Avery stepping up, winning the final play. I just think that's that's good for the future. You know, in a year where, you know, let's face it, it just it's just it was going to be tough for anyone to push Golden State or Cleveland, and for the Celtics to at least get, they got one more win than the rest of the East did against the Cleveland. So that that's good for something so far. Yeah, I I, I think you know you, you at, at this stage like they're in the Eastern Conference Finals or the number one seed. It, it's weird to say like that was a moral victory, but but considering how the first two games went and considering how Cleveland rushed through the rest of the Eastern Conference, I, I do think it means something to win a game. And I think it means something to to write themselves after those first two games, so that like if they had gone out and gotten cracked again, then it, it would have been really tough for them to swallow. I, I think I think now you know at, at least they know they <laughs> they gave it a shot, and 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 really like this series is about finding out how big the gap is, right? Because the Celtics have decisions to make, whether it's with the number one overall pick, whether it's trying to trade other pieces. They need to know how how much of a a gap there is between them and Cleveland, so that they can so that they can see, you know, what do we need to do with our future decisions? What path do we need to go? How much better do we need to get to compete with these guys? 
And, and look, if, if obviously games one and two were disasters, but if you can compete for the rest of the series, then then and then you know LeBron won't always stay as good as he is. The Cavaliers have an aging roster. I don't think they'll they'll always be as good as they are right now. I don't think even next year maybe they'll be as good as they are right now. They don't have much flexibility either. So, like, if if you can stay somewhat close, maybe, and I don't think it'll have too much of an impact on what Danny Ainge does. I, I think the, they'll most likely keep the number one pick. But, but Is that this, your preferred path, though? I, not to stomp on Deja Card's episode, but um, wh- what is your preferred path right now? What would you do? Yeah, I, I would keep the number one pick. I would I would take Markel Fultz. I, I think he is a stud. I think he's a probable longtime all-star. I think he can play with Isaiah Thomas because Isaiah Thomas can go off ball and because Fultz is a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. I, I think – and he's he's 6'4 with a 6'10 wingspan. Like, he can guard bigger guys. So, I am I think it, when you can lock in a guy who, who could be – that top five or top ten player in the league one one, one day. Now, he's not going to do it right away. He's not going to do it his first couple of years. But he's got that type of potential. And when you can lock that guy into a rookie contract and have him basically under team control for nine years because once he's a restricted free agent, you can match anything, then I, I think I think you have to do that. And and unless, like, some, some otherworldly option comes along, then, it's not going to oh, happen, though. I, I, I just can't imagine. When we heard all the price tags at the trade deadline, you know, what makes you think anything's going to change before the draft? Like, teams with stars, what we've seen the last few years is that it's, the prices are just ridiculous. It, it's really hard for teams to be willing to move them, unless they got the situation like the Kings, where they just had to move on from DeMarcus. But uh, I just don't see it happening. I agree. Like, to me, this is easy. You go get Markel. Cross your fingers and hope you can you can make the pitch to Gordon Hayward and get him here. And if you strike out there, you know you examine what what your backup plans are there, and maybe you you roll the dice with Blake's injury history or anyone you can convince to come in. But if you tell me that the team that won last night, if you add a healthy Isaiah Thomas, Markel Fultz, and a premier free agent, like all right, I think even if there is a gap, it's it's closed a little bit, and I'd be really interested to see by the end of next season, by the end of two seasons from now, what what the gap looks like and, and where, where your team is versus where the Cavs are. Uh, I just think that's just so much better of a of a way to set up a sustainable contender. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how the Celtics will look with another really good playmaker alongside Isaiah Thomas. Like, the amount of attention teams send at Isaiah Thomas is incredible at times. Like, Washington was literally just leaving people wide open <laughs> – across the court to focus on what Isaiah Thomas was doing. And if you can get like, like Gordon Hayward or Markel Fultz, if he's as good as advertised in in that situation with, with guys closing out, it could be, it could be super dangerous. Isaiah Thomas is a guy who, who requires so much attention all the time. All right. We, we got to get to, to Barrio. We got to get some tacos, man. Yeah, man. I um, say the best part of this is what for the the part that people can't see is like we're just like three doors down from each other in a hotel room, and then we're on two different cell phones. And then when we when we finish this, we're just gonna walk out our doors and be like, "Hey man, what's up? You wanna go get some tacos?" <laughs> yeah, but but before before we before I let you go, I I do wanna give you the story that I teased before we got. Yes, the yes. Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot all the way to this point. So, so I was on the radio. 
and um, I thought it was uh, it was Doug Christie's show, and and I, I was like I was like pumped up because I was a big Doug Christie guy. Like I, right, I loved the right. way Doug Christie played when he was on the Kings. I, I was a big fan of those Kings teams with Chris Webber, Paige Stoyakovich. Like Doug Christie was my guy. Like he was he was my boy back then. Like I really I really really appreciate his game. <laughs> so I get on the show and I'm like pumped up to go on the show, and I get on and his co-host says, "Here we are with Jeff King." I'm like, I'm like damn Jeff. And so I, I didn't say anything the first time because I was like, okay, he's just introducing me. I, I don't have to say anything. It'll just be one time, whatever. Every time he oh, asked no. a question, he said Jeff. And, and it got to a point where, like, once once he said it once and I didn't correct him, I didn't want to correct him the second time because I didn't correct him the first time. <laughs> so he he probably said Jeff King, like, ten times. And, and yeah, so, so Doug Christie, I was pumped to go on a show, but he thinks my name is Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I can I, I I can feel for you in this situation because not only do people I, I get, what's funny is I got called Jeff on a radio show last week and I did the same thing I didn't bring it up I just kept going and the host actually figured it out and he came back and he was like oh I'm so sorry you know I don't know why I had that name in my mind but Chris you're here with us and you know they and it, and he soldiered on but there have been like multiple instances where people have called me Peter for Peter Forsberg <laughs> and they'll do it throughout the whole show and same deal like. I don't know what the proper way to play that off is. Like sometimes you don't want to be the jerk who they're bringing on their show and, and, and correcting them. Uh, but sometimes I do want to just be like, yeah, man, I hope you get to talk to Peter someday, but my name is Chris and <laughs> and just like, and, and, and move on from it. But hang in there, Jeff, you'll be all right. Yeah. Jeff, man. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff King classic. All right. We left you with, you know, my, my new name, Jeff King. Uh, you got to change your Twitter handle. Yeah, by by Jeff King. <laughs> All right, well, I, I really appreciate you coming out. We got to go get some tacos. Everybody Let's get else, some tacos. everybody else, Locked On Celtics podcast. If you're not a subscriber already, search for Locked On Celtics podcast. Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, whatever else, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Give us a five star rating. Subscribe to us. Listen to us. We are here every Monday through Friday. We're here for you. We'll be here through the draft. We'll be here through Summer League. We are the greatest Celtics podcast, the only Monday through Friday Celtics podcast. We just give you the good. So come back, listen to us, and that's it for this episode, the Lockdown Celtics podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Get some tacos! <laughs> Taco time. Yeah, J. King and John Corrales. Locked on Celtics. Millie's.
Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.